Hello and welcome back to the journalism.co.uk podcast after our festive break. I hope you've had a wonderful Christmas with some well-earned time off. Each week we bring you the most interesting conversations from around the media industry and we kick off 2021 by talking about journalists' use of social media, particularly YouTube. We are joined today by Josh Helmuth, morning news anchor for Good Morning Colorado, a show by US local TV station KRDO. He's a journalist with some 15 years of experience, and being a news anchor is his day job, but in his spare time, he is also something of a YouTuber. If you go on his account, you will see videos from bloopers and behind the scenes, to showreels, to advice for fellow journalists, to more commentary-led pieces. Josh tells us how it can be a place to share best practices, as well as speak up for fellow journalists and the media. But these days, how journalists use social media has become a thorny issue. After all, you don't have to look far to find a disclaimer like, views my own and not my employer on a Twitter bio. But when it comes to YouTube, there aren't that many journalists actively posting there the way Josh is, with professional thumbnails and a lot of dedicated content for the platform. When it comes to presenting yourself and your employers in a good light, Josh and I talk about what guidance and guidelines his employers offer and the responsibilities of journalists on the platform. That's all coming up, but first, this. Make 2021 the year of upskilling yourself. On the 11th of January, we are running a four-week online course for creating shareable news videos for social media. And that's led by Cassie Show, an award-winning journalist and audience strategist, and the former audience development editor at BuzzFeed News and Quick Take by Bloomberg. For this course and all the other great courses we run, head over to journalism.co.uk forward slash courses. Josh, welcome to the journalism.co.uk podcast. What's the working situation like for you at the moment? Uh, well, we try to limit as many people in the building as much as we can as possible. So in my particular circumstance here in Colorado, um, here specifically in Colorado Springs, the COVID numbers uh, have been rising dramatically over the past several weeks. So uh, like we did back in the spring, we have one anchor in studio with a weather person who is about 30 feet away on the other side of the studio, and that's it. The other anchor, my co-anchor or myself, uh, we switch weeks, we alternate weeks. The other person is broadcasting from home on a little backpack called a Live View that attaches directly to our internet router. Uh, we literally have like a, a coat rack with some lights on it <laughs> to light us up. And then um, I'm when I'm at home, I'm broadcasting from my, my bar stool at my dining room island. Yeah. Pros and cons. Uh, so, I mean, there are definitely pros and cons to it, right? I mean, the cons are obvious. The, the pros are that you can wear your slippers on air and no one will ever know. Mm-hmm. And you're about five feet from your refrigerator, which I guess could also be a little dangerous. Um, you can also sleep in an extra 15 minutes because you don't have to drive anywhere. Amen. But you do get lonely after a while. So, and I mean, that being said, with the numbers rising dramatically, we did that back in the spring for about a month. And now we started about three, three weeks ago, I think, doing that again here um, in Colorado. And, you know, it's going well. We're doing the best we can. I think the viewers are very understanding, you know, when they hear, um, you know, our anchors, kids in the background, you know, throwing tantrums or asking for more cookies or our dogs barking at the mailman. People have been pretty understanding, yeah. but it's, it's definitely a strange time. I can see your newsroom behind you. You can see my bedroom behind me. It's a weird situation we find ourselves in. <laughs> yeah. Certainly. No question about it. We'll be talking about this for the rest of our lives. Yeah. You know, today I'd, I'd like to talk a lot about you and, and kind of the, the 
how should we say, like some of the extra content that you're doing uh, up on the internet. I, I know that you've got a Facebook account, you're doing lots of videos, uh, Twitter as well. But the one that's kind of interesting most to me is YouTube because journalists on YouTube are a bit of a rare breed. You know, you don't see too many of them. Uh, I can think of a few reasons why, but, you know, I'd love to ask you what you see as some of the barriers for journalists to venture onto YouTube. Well, I've, I've thought about that a lot myself recently, Jacob. Um, I My YouTube channel I've had for years. In fact, it's my second one. I've had a YouTube channel since about 2007. Uh, this version I've had since 2012 or 13 or something like that. And really, to be completely honest with you, it was just a place where I could upload some of my stories so that my mom, several states away, could watch my stories. <laughs> I relate to that, you know, actually. Or or just the fact that you, you have comfort knowing that your stories will at least last forever, mm. right? So if they disappear on a website, you still have a, a backup on YouTube. Mm. Well, I decided uh, when the pandemic first hit, uh, maybe even a few weeks before that, actually, back in February, I decided, hey, you know, on the weekends, if I have a little bit of free time, which I do typically in the afternoons, um, why not do something, kind of rebrand my YouTube channel to help other journalists, specifically young people, college students or people who have maybe have been a journalist specifically, especially in TV broadcast news uh, for several years, but still want to learn more and learn how to advance their career or just become a better journalist. Because I've been doing this for about 12 years combined and I'm always trying to get better. I'm always trying to look for resources on how to become a better storyteller, how to be more natural on camera, be more conversational, be relatable. Um, some hacks for lack of a better word and how to advance in the business because I've worked in several cities and I've always learned that no matter where you're working, no matter how big of a city in which you're working, um, there's always room for improvement. There's always things you can learn. There's always someone who's been there before you, who's done it bigger and better. And like you, Jacob, I was looking on YouTube for more resources. I couldn't find much. There's a couple people out there who are doing some good things and I subscribed to them immediately. But it's rare. I feel like there's a lot of people in TV news specifically who do use YouTube the way I was using it, just uploading their stories or their reels just for, you know, friends and family or maybe their agents or for news directors to take a look at. But I thought, hey, want to have some fun um, slash maybe, I don't know, infotainment, have some fun with it, but also uh, be uh, a resource um, for people young in the industry looking to better their careers. Yeah. Is there a specific goal with it in mind, long term? Um, not really. <laughs> I would love, I, I, I mean, I'm not going to lie, like everybody else, it would be nice to make a little bit of extra income off YouTube by helping others. You feel good about what you're doing and, and then maybe someday it helps pay for your daycare. But um, no, in reality, man, it's, uh, it's something that you just really have to enjoy doing. And if I had the time, I would probably post a YouTube video every day if I could. But obviously, I'm a full-time news anchor and a storyteller. So I already have a full plate. So I try to get up at least one video per week. Sometimes I do a little bit more if I have more time on the weekends. Yeah. But um, in reality, my goal is to, I guess, like I just said, be a resource for young people out there. I, I envision my audience being people anywhere from high schoolers, uh, teenagers, mm. to those in their 20s or early 30s, just looking to to be better broadcasters. But I guess, and I forgot, I apologize, Jacob, I forgot to answer one part of your question. And, is, and that's why don't more people do this? And I would love to hear your theories. I mean, my first thought is that it's hard. I mean, there, 
it, it does, it takes a lot of time to write a script, come up with an idea, you know, produce it, you know, shoot it yourself, um, edit it yourself, upload it, try to make it SEO friendly. I mean, come up with a thumbnail. Yeah. It is a lot of work. Um, so that's my first thought. I did have one young broadcaster reach out to me for advice recently. And she told me that she was looking for an agent which I have a YouTube video on that, by the way, I have my own theories on agents and broadcast news, at least those in the United States. I'm not speaking for agents everywhere, but um, I have my thoughts on that. But she said she reached out to an agent and the agent said, we will not sign you if you have a YouTube channel. You have to do one or the other. You have to do broadcast television news or YouTube. And I thought that was kind of a strange, maybe maybe the agency there, they, they, they're just overly cautious. They're worried that one of their talent, one of the reporters or anchors will say something that's not kosher or say something controversial. I'm not sure. But um, mm. that's a good question. I don't know why more people don't do it. Maybe there's some people out there who don't have all the skills yet to be able to edit themselves and upload everything themselves in a way that they feel would be really, I don't know, really well done. Yeah, the the time factor is definitely one thing because as journalists, it feels like there's never enough hours in the day and we're always stretched for time. The skill is another thing. Um, Josh, I know on your videos that your thumbnails look nice and professionally done and that's um, a well-documented necessity for making videos perform well and for channels to grow. Uh, the third thing I would posit is competition because youtube is super saturated and you've got all manner of different players on there that you're competing with for views you've got content creators who are doing this full-time you've got other media companies you've got music videos you've got live stream gamers you've got all manner of different players so for a lot of journalists perhaps thinking about youtube it's a super tough um market to crack right oh absolutely i mean you you have to be great at it you have to look professional it has to we were long gone are the days where you get on youtube just to look at funny cat videos yeah. right i mean so it really whatever you do in the words of dave Grohl, my favorite <laughs> rock star whatever you do in life you have to be badass it has to be badass if you want to get anywhere with it and i'm not saying i'm anywhere close to being badass but i'm certainly trying to you know do something that uh, does something for the greater good something that's also fun and something that actually uh, at least looks professional. But uh, with that being said, you know, maybe one, one part of it too is, you know, not only the time aspect, but also maybe people um, are a little worried that it's going to cause a conflict with something with their yep. job. And, and that being said, I'm, I'm lucky and fortunate that everywhere I've worked um, in my broadcasting career, I've had supportive news directors, supportive yeah. bosses here. You know, if, if I do have a concern, if, cause I do like to push the envelope sometimes a little bit, never, never will I pretend like I'm a talk show host and dish out a political mm. opinion. I'm not going to do that. Now I will stand up for journalists who are under political pressure. There's a difference there. But that being said, if, um, if I have something that I feel like is pushing the envelope a little bit, um, I can go to my boss and she helps me look over my script and she'll help me edit anything that might be a little too uh, forward or, or appear controversial. So that helps too. It helps when you have a boss in your corner who's willing to help you and guide you a little bit to make sure you have a second set of eyes before you put something on YouTube. That's interesting because you touch on like several things I wanted to ask you about there. One, of course, is that they actually give you like some studio space to go ahead and do this kind of content, right? Like they're fully okay with you. They've got your back with this. Yeah. 
Yeah, totally. I mean, it's understood that, you know, we, we work really long shifts, at least here at KRDO uh, for Good Morning Colorado. Uh, I come in at 3.30 in the morning. I'm not off till one o'clock in the afternoon. So we do have a really long break in the morning as long as there's no breaking news. And, uh, and not to mention, we have our entire afternoons free. So yeah, they're, they're, they're totally open to that. And uh, they understand that as long as I'm doing that on yeah. my own time, not on the station's time, it's a total separate yeah. entity. Uh, but that being said, they also understand there's some value in social media too. So, you know, whenever I do a video, I'm always trying to also uh, mention Good Morning Colorado, hoping that when, if people do come to Colorado, hey, doesn't that Josh from YouTube, doesn't, doesn't he work here? Hey, I'll tune into the show now that I'm here in Colorado. So, um, you know, I'm trying to hit several birds with one stone, but uh, it also helps the fact that hopefully we're, we're gaining a little bit of a, a great reputation in these videos too for our how show. much do you care about the growth of the channel like honestly um i care no question about it i won't deny that you know i i really hope that in the coming months and years it uh does get a loyal following um mm -hmm. based on the amount of effort i put into it which is you know a decent amount like i said i try to put at least one video up there a week and be consistent based on what i've done um, I, I do hope that the growth continues into a snowball effect eventually. Am I expecting to become some kind of YouTube star? No, absolutely <laughs> not. Nor would I want to be, you know, um, it, it's nice when people recognize you for your work. Um, but you know, it, it, like I said, it would be nice to get a loyal following and, and, um, and be, and feel like you're part of a community. It's always nice when you get several comments on a video and, uh, even messages and people asking for advice, for tips, for help. And that's what makes me feel really good is, you know, because of some of these videos, a lot of young reporters have reached out to me and, and I, I just, I love helping them because I know what it's like to be in, in their shoes. I think we all do. We all know what it's like to be a young journalist and maybe you're the first to do it in your family and you have no idea where to go. Maybe it's intimidating and it's scary. It's nice to have someone in your corner. Yeah. So that's really what I'm trying to yeah. accomplish. I, I, what would be useful for our listeners as well is just to kind of put this into a little bit of context too. I mean, YouTube success is defined in the millions, really, right? And whereas what you're doing, I think like your most popular video was 120,000 hits, which is very very impressive of course but it's and which had nothing to do with journalism and, uh, th that was just a prank video <laughs> right but um exactly. the one i kind of wanted to pull up was i think it was your fourth most successful one and it was your recent one about uh stop blaming the media and that one got about twelve thousand hits sure. and i guess you know you've as you've pointed out there's a whole range of different content you do tips uh some show reels some behind the scenes stuff this is one of those that i feel is a little bit more um opinionated although there are quite a lot of facts in there to back it up but you are letting your opinion come across and you are taking a position um on that discussion yeah oh absolutely and that's because and that's one of those videos i had my boss look over for me and make sure there was a second set of eyes to make sure that i wasn't crossing any boundaries because i do think that it's so important to remain non-biased especially in today's political climate but that being said that video was about standing up for yeah. all of us fellow journalists you know, recognizing the fact that you can't just be constantly blaming, quote unquote, the media when you're unhappy uh, with a story because it doesn't mm -hmm. fit your ideology. Right. And, you know, it's frustrating during this time when you have certain leaders who are constantly, you know, calling out, quote unquote, the media, the press, because they don't like a position they're taking or because they're releasing actual facts. We're talking about releasing facts. So 
that's why I made that video. And I made it knowing that a lot of journalists here in the States have felt that way for a long time, no, no matter who the leadership is. And in my video, I actually go back that uh, to the 1970s under President Richard Nixon. Uh, the attacks on the media, quote unquote, the media started all the way back then, which I wasn't aware of. So I did some research and I read some articles from the Washington Post, the New York Times. So um, I'm really glad that people paid attention to that video. It is unfortunate, though, that the growth in that video came to a stall when a lot of trolls, maybe some of them bots, I don't know, got on YouTube mm. and started disliking the video. And I was I was expecting that. So but but. I, that doesn't matter. It was nice to see the support from the journalism community step up and be like, yes, we agree. Yeah. But it's there's an irony, Josh, because you're absolutely right in what you're saying, that the, the wider public does not necessarily see a difference between Fox News and a local TV station and a freelance journalist. So when you put your content out, do you feel the responsibility of that sort of public perception where there are blurred lines? <sighs> blurred lines as regard to me giving my opinion in that video. Blurred lines in the sense that what one journalist posts on Twitter or YouTube could be construed from the public's point of view to represent yeah. the entirety of the yeah. media landscape. Well, I think it's important to recognize first that uh, the problem, the main problem, and I talk about this in that particular video, and if you want to watch opinion news, you know, talk shows that, that are mostly opinion, you know, that's fine. That's your prerogative. The problem is a lot of people don't know it's opinion. They don't understand it's the it's the op-ed section and not the actual news section, right? Correct. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think that's where the problem stems right there. I think if you're watching a certain program on, for instance, a, a cable news network, you need to understand what you're watching. Mm -hmm. And I think it's very clear in my video, particular, what you're watching. I make it very clear that this is an opinion, but also here are the facts to back my opinion and my arguments to support it. And I really hope that you can look at these facts and, and understand where I'm coming from so that you don't just attack your local journalist who is holding certain officials accountable by reporting facts. And if you're going to watch this show, if you're going to watch show A or show B, you need to understand and know that, hey, this may be just an opinion talk show disguised as news and not, like you said, your local freelance journalist actually trying to hold people accountable and actually releasing real facts. Are there topics where you just draw a line in the sand and say, you know, I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to go down that road. Oh, sure. Sure. I mean, the first thing that comes to mind is obviously any political bias. Um, you know, we obviously um, made an effort and the video we just spoke about, not to mention um, any current political leaders, because we understand that this may come from both political parties. So, you know, yeah, I, I think it's uh, the political spectrum is definitely one, but anything that would be considered uh, a bias or controversial, um, I would be wary of. And, and before I make that decision myself, again, I, I would consult other people I work with to, to, like I said, get a second eyes on it and make sure that it's, it's the right call. It's a conversation here in the UK, which is brought into focus by social media guidelines introduced late last year for BBC staff. Um, I'm just wondering, are there any specific guidelines that your employers give you in terms of 
how you can be using your social media account or the types of things that you can be posting about? There are guidelines that uh, I've agreed to follow. Uh, nothing concrete. It's more of just like a morals clause. That's essentially what it is. It's like, hey, yeah. we, it, we, we trust you, but you know, just understand that you represent us, you represent our community, yeah. and we expect you um, to keep those to keep anything you say, um, unbiased, yeah. non-biased. Uh, so, um, that's something that I absolutely agree to. And I, I agree to that for the rest of my career, no matter where I'm working. The, the thing about YouTube though, is that really is a platform for polarization. The algorithms very much reward polarization with popularity for you to have, you know, astronomical growth or really significant growth. Do you think about the fact you might have to veer that way? No, but if I cared about astronomical growth, yes. Mm. Fortunately, I don't. Fortunately, um, I take pride in the fact that I love what I do because I love what I do. I feel like it's it's important. It's important to our to our community, our local community here in Southern Colorado, even more so than on a national or international level. Right. And uh, there are several people. And you see this a lot more in broadcast news for obvious reasons. You see some people get in the business just because they want to be on TV. Mm -hmm. They don't, they don't care about what they say or where they work. And, and, you know, some people, you know, will probably spout some kind of controversial opinion. They may not even agree with, but they know it's going to get views, whether it be on television or YouTube or what have you. Um, thankfully I take pride in the fact that, that I care what I do, yeah. it matters. And I don't see yeah. myself joining any type of controversial show, talk show, podcast, uh, you know, press, yeah. uh, during my lifetime. It's a valid concern for other journalists out there who are more relaxed about putting their opinions off to the public, taking a political stance they could jump on this and, and, and really take quite a polarizing view on it. Yeah. And it makes me think about, thank goodness I didn't have Twitter or any type of social media when I was in high school because, and that's one thing, you know, young kids got to be aware of because what will happen is maybe they'll say something out of touch with the reality, something controversial, something inappropriate. And when they're a teenager, well, what if they become, you know, a, a journalist, a television hosts, any type of news commentator. And then, you know, this, person buries up a tweet from 10 years ago you got to be aware of that too so i don't think i would have said anything controversial at that age but my goodness thank thankfully it wasn't available for me to at least say something uh, that would be considered bias what does youtube success look like to you josh i think youtube success i mean personally i would consider that being kind of what's happening right now but on a larger scale i am getting young reporters and anchors, storytellers reaching out to me every week asking for advice, whether it be something uh, regarding agents or um, how, to, how to better find a job, how to network, uh, what, they, what I think about their reel. Um, I get that question a lot because I have a video on how to produce a, a reel that's going to get you hired. So that's fun. I really do enjoy doing that. And I am honored. I, I'm obliged when someone reaches out to me. I consider it a tremendous compliment because I, it just seemed like yesterday I was in their shoes reaching out to people, trying to find a mentor, trying to get advice. So I, I'm, I'm happy to share all the information I have. So, you know, like I said, it would be it would be nice if my YouTube channel in the coming months or years really takes off. But um, I would say what's happening right now is great. And if, if that just, you know, continues to pick up speed, uh, I just think it would be fantastic. I'm, I just love helping other people.
as we've discussed, posting on any kind of social media can be a thorny path. It can be a tricky subject. What's the value in doing so, though? If I could just ask you, what what makes it worth doing? Where is the value in doing this? That's a great question. I guess everybody has different motives. And it's taken me a long time to, I guess, try to figure those out myself. I'm not on TikTok. Yet. I'm very skeptical of TikTok. I mean, to me, it just looks like people dancing, which is great. I mean, it's fun, right? I My nieces are on it. Um, but I don't know if it's my, it's just, if it's my thing, um, I've just recently over the past several months tried to take Instagram more seriously. Um, I started taking Twitter more seriously a couple of years ago. Um, I think Twitter is a great tool. If you just want to get news, you want to get it fast. Um, Instagram's great. I think if you want to get to know, um, your journalists, your reporters on a little bit of a more personal level. Yeah. And I think Facebook is, you know, I hate to say it, but I think Facebook is more for our parents and grandparents. And so oh, don't tell me that <laughs> I, hey, I, and I love Facebook, but I look at my audience. I have, I don't know, 4,000 some followers on Facebook. And when I post something, it, it usually they're great conversation starters, but the people commenting, especially on my stories, I'll, I'll repost the video of my story on Facebook. It's, it's, you know, people over the age of 40 typically. Hmm. So um, I think, yeah, the demographics are different and you have to keep that in mind. But I think we're always trying to figure out how to utilize social media. That that never ends. But YouTube, should it? do you think it should remain as like this no man's land for journalists or maybe more journalists come on the platform? No, not at all. Not at all. But I will say this, whatever you're posting, whether it be to any social media platform, including YouTube, but especially YouTube, whatever you're doing, if you wouldn't say that or do that on actual television in front of thousands of people live, you probably shouldn't be doing it. Mm -hmm. If you question that it might hurt your integrity or at least get you reprimanded by your boss, don't do it. Or your news organization's integrity as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Cool. So one eye on 2021. What do you want to achieve with your with the platforms that you're using? Well... You know, I have very vague goals. It is important to set goals. My first goal is to get over a thousand subscribers on YouTube. So if, if you are on YouTube, go to Josh Helmuth on YouTube. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you are any kind of journalist and I'm really hoping I can provide to you some sort of, some sort of, a, of, of a solid resource for you. And again, I'm really targeting younger people, but I've helped people in their thirties. Uh, I'm in my thirties. I'm still learning. I'm still growing. Um, you know, I'm certainly willing to partner with other people. I don't put in an extreme amount of effort into Instagram or Twitter or Facebook. I try to post there regularly, but I do think it's important to keep everything in perspective. And I love what I do And Southern Colorado certainly comes first or viewers here, me reporting on our community comes first. But um, if I can provide some sort of resource to people and I, I'm just flattered I, I've had people contact me from, from other countries, um, from South America, from the Philippines, and I'm just blown away. It's fun. I love doing it. And so if I can provide any sort of insight into what it's like to be a journalist or help other journalists in their career, I'd love to do it. So 
I hope that helps answer your question a little bit. I, I, I do I do take what I do seriously and I want to see it grow. But at the same time, I try to keep things into a healthy perspective. Well, I wish you all the best with it, Josh. And thank you for coming on the podcast uh, to talk about YouTube and to share all your insights with us. Thanks very much. Thanks, Jacob. Pints on me if we, if we get together someday. An interesting conversation there with Josh. I think it will be hard to arrive at a consensus of how journalists should and should not use social media platforms, but two things really stuck out to me today. The first is that Josh recognises that what he posts can be seen to represent both his employers and the wider media landscape. So second to that, he seems to treat the guidelines he gets from work as an oversight that what he posts isn't just going to cause controversy and sow division. If you like what you heard today, you can check out more of our episodes by searching and subscribing to the journalism.co.uk podcast on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And if you'd like to feature on the show, I'd love to hear from you. Drop me an email on jacob at journalism.co.uk. But that's all we have time for this week. I've been your host, Jacob Granger. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time. <laughs>